Welcome to the South Plains Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Last month, when uh, while we were gone uh, for a couple of weeks, Rob presented two lessons on the Alpha and the Omega out of the first chapters and the last chapters of the Bible. Did a really good job of that. I wanted to point out to you this morning that the scriptures actually begin with a wedding, Adam and Eve, and they end with a wedding, Christ and the church. In fact, everything that has a beginning is found in in Genesis, marriage included. And what do we find at the end of time? A marriage. Makes you ponder sometimes, why does God give us marriage? And the answer from Scripture is because it reflects His redeeming love for us in Jesus Christ. And to be able to hold on to this truth that, that marriage, is, marriage is from God and marriage is for God. In Genesis 1.26, God made us, made people, let us make mankind according to our image and our likeness. And so we're all made in the image of God. And then what the man said about the woman in Genesis 2, 23, at last, uh, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, someone I can connect with, someone I can love. And in verse 24, the design for marriage God has given is that the two become one flesh, a man and woman together. If you believe that God created marriage, then you must believe that he regulates what he creates. Sadly, today, many look at marriage as simply a way to find emotional and relational fulfillment. And if you're married, let me be quick to say, I hope that you have found fulfillment and relationship. But it's not, marriage is not a private arrangement for the satisfaction of individuals to which we have turned it to. Marriage is a public covenant for God's greater good in the world. There are really two views of marriage that you can take. One is, it's for me. It's a for me view of marriage, thinking it's all for you. It's, but when you do that, it places a crushing burden on your spouse because there is no way a spouse can do for you what only God can do for you. So the better view of marriage is for God It is a freeing sacrifice where you give first and receive second. God's goal for your marriage is not your happiness, but rather for your holiness. Holy is the Lord. Imitate me. If it's all about how you feel right now, then it's just for you, but... If it's for your spouse's holiness, more like Jesus, then marriage is for God. Some of us were part of a wedding last night, a marriage being brought together. And we see a marriage today in the book of Ruth. It's the only book in Scripture, have you thought about this? It's the only book in Scripture devoted to the history of a commoner who is a woman. 
Additionally, she's a foreigner from Moab living in Israel. Ruth as a character is this specific story about common people when society was at a very low ebb. So Ruth is this bright spot in an otherwise dark time. She's also in a tough spot. She's a young widow trying to care for her older mother-in-law who's also widowed. And she's a different ethnicity. She's an outsider. And I told you last Sunday in chapter 3, she makes a bold appeal to Boaz as the family redeemer. Chapter 3, verse 9, take me under your wing for you are a family redeemer. In essence, Ruth saying to Boaz, marry me and redeem my family. But there was someone closer. So what does Boaz do? That's kind of where we left it last Sunday. Well, what he began in private on the threshing floor at night between just the two of them now becomes quite public at the most public place during daylight in Bethlehem. As we pick up to read chapter 4 of Ruth, open your Bibles, take out your phone, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, if you're looking for it. Chapter 4. Boaz went to the town gate and he took a seat there. And then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by. So Boaz called out to him, come over here, sit down, friend. I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. And then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, Now, you know Naomi, who came back from Moab. She's selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought that I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it, if you wish. If you want the land then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. And the man thought and said, all right, I'll redeem it. And then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. (laughs) Well, I misspoke. I can't, I can't redeem it then, the family redeemer replied, because that might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I, I, I can't do it. Now, in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, You buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and to the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon, and with the land I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. This way she can carry, she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You are all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home 
like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. And when he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Now here's the picture. Early morning Bethlehem. Merchants and beggars were all setting up there in the early morning as Boaz shows up. He sits by the city gates signaling he's here for some legal proceedings. It was, it was well-traveled. It was highly public. It was a central place of commerce in Bethlehem. And he is here to make it publicly known that he wants to do something about Ruth's situation. What we learn, even before we see marriage, we learn that since Ruth and Boaz will marry later in this chapter, that committed marriages require patience and honor. Patience. Both Ruth and Boaz are sitting and hoping. If you recall chapter 3, Naomi tells Ruth, sit tight. Just sit tight and wait on Boaz. And Boaz is sitting at the city gate waiting. Now up to this point, Ruth and Boaz have acted honorably with each other in private. Now the question is still, will they continue to act honorably within their community? You may have saw something you didn't know before in this chapter. Naomi Naomi owns a piece of land, verse 3. And under the law of Moses, property in Israel is inalienable. It could not be taken away from Naomi. It must remain with her. But she needs to sell it because she's in poverty. But the only one who can buy it legally is a family redeemer in order to keep it in the family. The other family redeemer just happens just happens to walk by, wink, wink. The sovereignty of God is all through this as we look back. He just happens to walk by, and Boaz says, Hey, you, <laughs> come sit here with me. And he makes this all legal. Boaz is willing to be patient and willing to do the right thing. So seeing his commitment to Ruth, you see patience and honor. Boaz must give the other family redeemer the first right of refusal. And the other one wants to buy the land until he hears about Ruth. You see, the, the Leverite marriage law was a condition of the family redeemer. In order to get the property, he must marry Ruth. And any children born would carry his relatives' names and they would lay claim on the property. It's the way it stays in the family. So he says, I want to buy the property, but I can't take on another wife. So he didn't want to take the chance on his inheritance being fragmented. So marriage, in this story, marriage is the responsibility, while the land was the opportunity. He doesn't want the responsibility that comes with the opportunity, and so he declines. 
This clears the way for Ruth and Boaz to be married. They start with patience and honor. And now I want you to see that marriage is not based on self-fulfillment, but rather on self-denial. He appeals, her appeal to Boaz was taking quite a risk, a personal risk. Boaz, marry me. Boaz's response required quite the sacrifice. And the fact is, their hearts were together on this, but they chose not to act on pure emotion, but they chose instead the covenant of marriage, the covenant relationship. The essence of marriage is the covenant. We, in our culture, tend to look at marriage, in fact, all relationships, kind of through a consumer lens. This predominates in our culture as we live on a consumer kind of economy. We tend to see marriage not as a covenant relationship, but as a consumer relationship. Let me, let me give an example of covenant. When you care for an infant, you have this little baby in your arms, and you can look at the infant, and the babies are energetic this morning, so we can hear. And you look at this little infant in your arms, this little baby in your arms, and you say, child, you're not helping me emotionally. In fact, as I think about it, you do very little for me, if anything at all. So you know what? I'm out. I'm out. I'm just out. Nobody would make that kind of a thing. Uh, that's horrifying. Because You know why? Because we look at the relationship between parent and child as a covenant relationship. We're, care, we're going to care for and do our part no matter what happens with the baby. So we covenant to care for the child. A consumer relationship lasts only as long as it meets your needs. And then you can drop the subscription. <laughs> the, and the cost of the relationship, as long as it's worth the benefit, then the, the relationship continues. But in a covenant relationship, you are in it no matter what it costs. Which is why it's in those vows you take for richer, for poor, sickness and in health. That's the difference. Marriage is a covenant, a promise to God that you will keep your vow to your spouse. It's both vertical and horizontal. <clears throat> the covenant of marriage is always looking forward. It's not based on your feelings in the moment because it's a promise for the future. So in marriage, you choose to love someone, not feel love for someone, although I hope you do feel love. I usually ask that before a marriage. You do love her, right? But you choose to love. It's a decision, and it's an action. And when you do it, the feelings follow. So in marriage, we're to rely on our actions, not our emotions. That's the essence of a covenant. You do the acts of love despite your feelings. This is how we follow Jesus in our marriages. Self-denial over self-fulfillment. 
And when we do this, it reflects the good news of what Jesus did for us. It reflects God's covenant of redemption. It's His sacrifice that enables us to be in relationship with the Father. When you hear, when you hear the church called the bride and Christ called the groom, that's what we're talking about. It's the covenant relationship. Marriage reflects the relationship Jesus has with His people. That's why it's so beautiful. That's why we see it so much in Scripture. Did you pick up on the exchanging the sandal thing? I mean, it's, it's a little thing in there in verse 7 and 8, but it's kind of fascinating. It's, it's symbolic. It was a ritual of their day. We have our own symbols, rituals, like at a wedding, like walking down an aisle. That's, that's ritualist. That's our culture. The clothes we wear at a wedding are custom. Rings, candles, sand, brands, rope. I'm trying to think of all the unity things I've done. Or I've not done. Somebody's done the wedding. All those things are custom. They're, they're ritual. They're symbolic. They're something that we come up with. That's what they are. And, and, and by the way, the, the average wedding, did you know the average wedding in the United States costs $30,000 today? Did you know the average salary in the United States today is $62,000? Okay, enough of that. <clears throat> Last Sunday, I mentioned the scriptures are sometimes descriptive instead of prescriptive, descriptive instead of prescriptive. It, it tells what happened, not what do I do, right? Last week, it was about uncovering the feet. I suggested that's probably not a good thing for us doing today. Here it's exchanging sandals. Same thing. It was descriptive of the culture, not meant to be a prescriptive that we exchange shoes every time we make a promise. There'd be a lot fewer promises if, with some people anyway, if you took your shoes off every time you, you made your promise. But the truth is here, Ruth will marry Boaz. There's no elaborate ceremony like we have today, but this, this was a real commitment through a covenant. Why did Boaz say they were getting married? Verse 10, to perpetuate, to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property in his hometown. To carry on the name of Elimelech. Ultimately, this is all about honor. Boaz knows that this marriage is not about him, but something greater than himself. God's plans. Another thing to note about them getting married that you may not have thought about, it's an interracial marriage. Boaz is a Hebrew. Ruth is a Moabite. Deuteronomy 7, Hebrew people were not to marry outside of Israel. Israel forgot what that was all about. We, in our country, have forgot what that was all about. It was not about the purpose of race. It was for the purpose of relationship with God. They were not to marry others who, be who believed in different gods. They were to marry with alike beliefs. We have it in the New Testament as well, 2 Corinthians 6, about being equally or unequally yoked in belief. It doesn't matter the skin tone. It doesn't matter light or dark. Marrying 
It matters what you believe as you come together. The two become one. Ruth had committed earlier that the God of the Hebrews will be my God when she said to Ruth, your God will be my God. So they are equally yoked as they come together. It was obvious. When God brings together a husband and wife in marriage, it's a beautiful thing. We all enjoy it. And frankly, interracial marriages are simply pointing to the kingdom of heaven where every color are united together in Christ. But Jim, what about Perez? What about Perez, the son of Tamar in the genealogy at the end? Why end such a beautiful story bringing this subject up, talking about the lineage of David? Well, in many ways, this is the key to the book of Ruth. And although Rob said this was the last, actually next Sunday's the last. But I want to end this message with a final note on marriage. Stop looking for a soulmate when what you really need is a savior. Soulmate in our culture often means somebody who is perfectly compatible with me. They just fit me. That's nonsense. If it was possible to find someone perfectly compatible to you, then neither of you could change because if you change, you don't fit together anymore. If somebody's just right for you right now, then what do you, you, you must never change. Listen. Listen. Your soulmate is your spouse who you're married to. Listen. The fruit of marriage is to help you change, not remain the same. The fruit of marriage is to sanctify you, to make you more like Jesus so that you deny your natural desires and you pursue God. If you're looking for a completely compatible match for yourself, you have missed the point of marriage. Now, to you who are single and you have been sitting and suffering through this marriage sermon like a downer, listen. Singleness is not incompleteness, and marriage is not completeness. Your spouse does not define who you are. Jesus defines who you are. If your spouse defines you, that's idolatry. It's who you are in Jesus Christ, and we all need Jesus, and we all need to view marriage as a horizon. The future view of marriage is this, a common horizon as you look forward, as you journey together in life, as you grow together in Christ, as you look together towards the throne of God, 
And as you breathe the air of heaven together, the whole point of marriage is helping each other get to the point where we stand face to face with Jesus and hear, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's stand together and sing. Thanks for listening. To stay up to date on news and other events, visit southplains.org. We also extend special thanks to our countless volunteers who make all of our ministries possible. And remember, engage, lead, and celebrate others. Thank you.